0: Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of West Obsessed, where the writers and editors of High Country News discuss issues critical to the health of the American West. Uh, Today we're going to talk about a really, really important story that we just got uh, done with. We just put it to bed a few weeks ago, actually. We've been on a publishing break. We're going to talk about an issue that we recently put to bed. Um... It's really about a really important issue that's kind of moving through the news even today as we're speaking. We're, we're recording this uh, after the $1.3 trillion spending bill was signed by President Donald Trump. That spending bill included some money, but not all the money that the president wanted for, to build, uh, more, build up the barriers uh, in the borderlands. Um, we've seen this coming for quite some time. It's sort of coinciding with a lot of questions about immigration and DREAMers. Um, and so... There's a lot happening within this story, but we spent a long time with our writer, Maya Kapoor, who's joining me right now via Skype from Tucson. Hi, Maya. Hi. We spent a lot of time um, having Maya down on the borderlands. Um, She's going to help walk us through this story. I'm here, uh, as usual, with Kate Schimmel, the Deputy Editor Digital of High Country News. I'm Brian Calvert, the Editor-in-Chief of High Country News. Um, And we're going to talk about this desert that's divided. So Maya, why don't you walk us through a little bit um, the reason that we wanted to look at the borderlands in the first place. This was about a year ago.
1: Sure. So I think that uh, what really inspired the story was that this region's become rapidly more and more politicized and it's being talked about a lot of times in a way that doesn't really describe it as um, a vital, you know, lived-in space and uh, as a, a place of community and a place of connections, which is really what it is. And so um, I wanted to kind of look around and see what the trade-offs are when you talk about constructing barriers, basically. What is it that you're dividing? And Um, I think that, you know, a lot of our readers have visited or live in this region and and know that it's a little more complicated than, you know, us versus them. And so I wanted to look into that a little bit more and think about environmental, economic and social connections that are here and have been here a long time.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important to point out that it's a real place. The borderlands, this is, a border is a political invention, but the, the borderlands are those, the, you know, on each side of that border. Um, so I wanna bring Kate in real quick because have you been down into the borderlands yourself? I, I have not.
2: Yeah, I've never been to the borderlands. I've been to the northern border, but not to the south.
0: So what is your sort of impression of the borderlands in general? You might act like a proxy for the other listeners who haven't been there because I think it's gonna be important to sort of distinguish these things. This is something that Maya and I ran into when I was editing the story. So I would like to hear what your impressions of the borderland are.
2: Well, I thought that was one of the really useful parts of this story and of your editor's note, Brian. Right. So I've never been to the borderlands. I've been to border states, but not very close to the border itself. And this place is totally abstract. I have an understanding that there's this desert down there. I've been to the northern edges of that sort of ecozone. I That desert is completely divorced from the idea of the border running through it in my mind. And then there's this sort of other place that is like fortified walls, fences, migrants, like the intense and often violent politics of the border. And I realized reading this story that those are like two completely different places to me. There's this desert where all these animals and plants live, and then there's... The border and those are different. And I thought this story was fascinating because of the way that it brought those two together and put them in the same physical space.
0: Yeah, actually, for me, also, this sort of idea of the borderlands, I think, like the American West in general, is this mythologized place. So this sort of, I don't know, I think of Cormac McCarthy and Blood Meridian, or I kind of think of like country western song there's a whole honky-tonk sort of tradition about talking about south of the border that i think is a part of popular culture or mythology and so to have maya sort of come forward with a story that's like look if this place is it's real it's got a ton of different connections that are there are social connections there are economic connections there are ecological connections and maya you at first kind of went down there to sort of show how those were um inseparable right that was sort of our our primary idea how how did you think of it that way in terms of you're actually like living it down in arizona and you visit the borderlands you hike there you go back and forth across the border What, what it is actually like
1: right so to me as a person who lives in the borderlands um well actually before i answer that question i i wanted to just add to the idea of the border which is just to say that um if you use like a sort of a federal definition of the borderlands, which I I tend to do. Um, There's been efforts to pass legislation that kind of softens federal regulation within the border region of the country. And that is defined as areas within 100 miles of the U.S. border. Mm -hmm. And if you look at a map, Um, that's a lot of our major cities. And that's, you know, that's not just Tucson where I live. That's places like L.A., that's places like Washington, D.C., that's places like Seattle. So I think a lot more people live in what politically is considered a borderlands than, um, if not culturally, than we realize. And it's important to think about that when you look into the politics of efforts to pass laws that waive, you know, civil rights closer to the border in the name of national security. And then they define that for the whole country in the same way. And it's like, okay, anybody who lives within a hundred miles of the border is going to have to contend with this. And that could be like a lot of people who don't think of themselves as dwelling in borderlands. So it's just something that I wanted to put out there. Um, let, me, let me just but, do a real quick fact
0: check. Did you say Washington DC is a borderlands?
1: It's I'm, I'm saying it's within 100 miles of a U.S. border. So there's been, Which is the coast? Uh, Oh, I see. I see. So there's been efforts to, like, say we're securing our borders, you know, by, and people think borderlands, they think U.S. Mexico, they think U.S. Canada, and they think places like Tucson. But when you actually look at the legislative definition, it becomes something else. Just something to, for, so, pe- for people who are listening in to think about, like, you might live in what is technically, like, according to the federal government, part of a borderlands and not realize it. <laughs> so
0: <But> what <laughs> we're going to be talking about today is the U.S., the borderlands yeah. that are along the U.S.-Mexico border. Right.
1: For me, living here, you know, I really went into the story wanting to talk about the idea of inseparability because the politicization of the borderlands is in a lot of ways coming from people who don't live here people who um, you know are haven't spent a lot of time here and aren't part of the local economy don't rely on connections aren't part of the local ecology um, aren't part of the local you know families or communities and so I kind of I wanted to push back against some of those severings and so you know I talked to a businessman who his family has run a store in Ambos Nogales on the border for generations, and they rely on uh, shoppers coming from Mexico to the U.S. And I've talked to um, people who who lived on both sides of the border and moved across both sides of the border daily, you know, and um, looking at people who's talking to people who study the organisms that don't think in terms of national borders and uh, migrate and rely on resources on either side to just – push back against this concept of borders as inevitable and, um, and then the reporting kind of changed that.
0: Yeah. And yeah, that was really kind of an interesting experience that I think I went through in terms of editing this story, because for the most part, I have this imagined place and I also have to imagine the border wall, which in my mind looks a lot like the wall that separates, um, Jerusalem from Ramallah or West Bank or something just like a concrete barrier that just goes from horizon to horizon. That's how I envision the wall. And what I think we sort of started to understand through this story was that the imagining of a place and a wall through a place is as important. It's an important part of this particular story in the national conversation. And it's kind of what your reporting was pushing back against was my imagination in a way. Did you did you feel that?
1: I did. I think that was a tension that we definitely worked on. And yeah, for sure.
0: I was yeah. like, oh, it's gonna be split. what's gonna happen when this thing cleaves the entire land? And it's like, well, that's not what a border wall looks like necessarily. Yeah. You guys
2: had to do some relationship work around figuring out what the border wall meant to each of you. <laughs> kind of, yeah.
0: Um well it, it wasn't that I mean, I know intellectually that that's not what the border wall is. And you can read about different kinds of barriers, fences, uh, electronic surveillance as a part of that. And and that also goes through the national discourse, too, right? Trump, when he says we're going to build a wall, he's kind of dog whistling to people who also imagine this giant wall between us and the people who are coming over it and ruining America. That's kind of his dog whistle. And he's playing to that. And even in my own imagination, you know, that I can see it when when Trump says we're going to build a wall and Mexico is going to pay for the wall. I can see what that wall is. And, it, you know, it's sort of it's this level of abstraction. It's kind of like a Jungian archetype of a wall. And that that's in your head, you know. And mm-hmm. it is
2: amazing how powerful that is with people. So I've been watching sort of the reader response to this story over the past week or so. And one of the things that's interesting is how many readers find the idea of a wall powerful, either negative or positive. Like the people who want to feel right, like safe from this imagined threat from the outside, they don't want a metaphorical wall. When, when they hear, I want to build a wall, they imagine, yeah, like we are fortified. We are protected by this wall very literal wall that splits the desert. And that came up again and again and again. And we thought about, you know, how do you write a headline? How do you describe this story in a way that encourages people to get past that idea? Because first of all, that's probably not what's going to happen if the wall gets built. That's not what's happening now. And if that is what you want, it's probably not effective. So how do you start to think about this place as a real place? And it was a challenge. I don't think we necessarily broke through that metaphor in people's hey, minds.
0: You can already see in this conversation how powerful this because actually that's not what we're here to talk about, right, Maya? We're here to talk about the connections of this place. And so, what <laughs> does it actually look like? Is there, you know, is there a wall like the Great Wall of China that you can see from space? That, you know, what is along the border right now near well, Nogales? So the valleys? The
1: border is about two thousand miles, and there's some form of infrastructure along approximately six hundred and fifty of it.
0: 650 of 2,000 miles has some Mm -hmm. kind of infrastructure. That's it. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. It's basically different kinds of fencing. Some of it is um, pedestrian fencing that um, people can't get through, and some of it is um, vehicular barriers. So people can go through it, but you can't drive through it.
0: So what did you learn? What surprised you as you were moving through these areas in the borderlands trying to find these connections? Do you think that they're um, inseparable?
1: I think things are already being changed, Changes that people aren't looking into, like, well, like local businesses having to close because, you know, border infrastructure causes wait times for shoppers, so then they don't come shopping anymore. It's those kinds of things that that surprised me. So, and I, I didn't realize how little research has been done about those kinds of consequences, whether they're ecological or economic, Um, there just hasn't been... I also didn't realize that um, that there's very little interest among CVP, Customs and Border Patrol agents, to live in the Nogales area. Or like that they have, you know, that of course, I mean, now that I'm saying it out loud, it's like, of course people have, you know, there's popular places to get posted and less popular, but if you're one of the like less popular postings because you're more rural or for whatever reason, um, it can really slow down the flow between your um, ports of entry, and that can really affect the regional economy. And so things like that surprised me.
0: If you're just joining us, you're listening to West Obsessed. This is where the writers and editors of High Country News Talk about issues critical to the health of the American West. Today we're talking about Borderlands. I'm Brian Calvert. I'm the editor-in-chief of High Country News. I'm here in the studios, uh, KVNF, in lovely Paonia, kind of rainy, lovely Paonia, Colorado, uh, with our deputy editor, Digital Kate Schimmel. And we're joined via Skype by our associate editor, Maya Kapoor. Um, Maya, you were saying you were surprised to find those things were you upset to find them out you know because your your thesis was sort of like these things aren't separable and then suddenly you're starting to see where there there are some frayed connections how did you respond to that and what did you do in your reporting to respond to that
1: one of the things I felt just because it's like my nature to want to like find information is like I, I was bothered by how like well the lack of ecological research about the effects of the borders, because when the 650, um, approximately 650 miles were put in, um, it was through um, an act of Congress in the mid 2000s that allowed for rapid border wall construction or fencing construction without any kind of um, environmental regulations, like it waived NEPA and waived the Endangered Species Act and um, several, you know, other things. And so, um, that meant that, you know, those laws are what require you to do an environmental impact assessment, which is why you have data about what was there before you built. And so um, I think I was just, I I was really frustrated that there just wasn't information. And similarly, for people who live in the region, you know, who are trying to maintain connections to family on either side, or do work on either side, and just, like, you know, they're not trying to, change what the government's priorities are but they're like just can we have more border patrol agents and keep these ports of entry open can we like can we can you just do this in a more efficient way I just saw that is really frustrating as somebody who lives in southern Arizona like I I go shopping um, on the weekends for things I need and um, whatever store I'm in I might be surrounded by like whether it's Target or the grocery store um, the people around me might I'll be like native Spanish speakers who are up from Mexico for the to shop. And it's like, you know, I appreciate that. And so it helps our economy. So, um, yeah, I just was surprised. Like when I, I live in this world in my town where um, we're very multilingual, multicultural. And and then it's like, oh, these are impediments that um, aren't helping the economy, aren't helping families, like aren't helping the ecology. But I don't know what anyone's doing to address that.
0: Right, and even though you know this 2,000-mile great wall of America is not built yet or ever, um, is not built, something's happening, right, inside the rhetoric, inside the imagination, sort of conceptually. It just felt to me like when I'm when reading your story that even the rhetoric of a wall or barrier or fence or whatever you want to call it, um, that rhetoric is doing something all, all its own. Could you describe that?
1: Um, Describe what's in my
0: imagination.
1: (laughs) No, I mean, I think, yeah, it's like people, you know, you you can make something real just by imagining it. And so people are really imagining this is a place of divisions. And it can be really hard to get information from Customs and Border Patrol about what to do if you – um, encounter like undocumented migrants in distress. And so the, I, we described that in the story. Like, I had an experience like that. I, it wasn't actually reporting the story when it happened, but it was while I was working on the story. And it's just really confusing what is legal, what the resources are if you encounter someone who might be undocumented and they're in medical distress. And I think that with increased militarization on the border, it really can frighten people who maybe want to help somebody who looks like they need help, but they're just not sure what they're allowed to do. And I did see on um, No More Deaths' website that um, so some people in that group have recently been charged with various federal crimes. And... According to No More Deaths, now their recruitment of new volunteers is like really gone down.
0: So and No More Deaths is the group that will take water and supplies or provisions out into the desert so th- to sort of help people survive who are crossing. They the desert. they
1: put out um, they put out water in the desert. I'm not sure what else they do because they're um, kind of an aid they,
0: group though on the borderlands.
1: They broadly the, um, yeah so they one of the main things they do is put out water in the desert in the summer for people who are crossing. I mean their name kind of says it. Like they're not necessarily trying to shuttle people, they're not like coyotes, but they're they're just trying to stop people who are moving themselves from dying. So, they need volunteers to like actually transport the water, I guess, and from what I've heard from border patrol, drop like giving people water or food is not illegal, but but then after that it gets blurry. So,
0: What's happening? Well, now so with what ha- what
1: happened with no more deaths is that they um, they released a video recently showing that they compiled using um, remote cameras that were um, showing over several years uh, border patrol agents going to the water caches and destroying them. Hmm. And um, wow! Right after that video was released, border patrol uh, arrested no more deaths volunteers and charged them with various and then they were charged with various federal crimes and the arrests have been seen as retaliatory to the release of that video and since that happened one of the people that they arrested is facing up to like 20 years in prison since that happened no more deaths has seen a drop in um, interested volunteers
0: i see so there's a chilling effect right talk a little bit more about the way that that social and economic dynamic plays out with a, a different kind of ecological dynamic, because there's also a lot of non-human stuff that happens across, you know, this sort of this political barrier. Um, what was the most surprising thing to you about the, the, the desert or the, the impact that a, a more constructed wall might have on the ecology of the particular places along the border that you visited?
1: Well, something I hadn't thought about was, um, I mean, I think, you know, I, I thought about like, uh, okay, if you're like a pronghorn or um, I am some like kind of animal horn. trying to move across the desert and you come across a barrier, like you're just not going to be able to go across. But I hadn't thought about how much infrastructure goes into barrier construction. So if you're going to build a wall or build infrastructure, you're going to make roads. You're gonna clear space. You're gonna have um, offices. You're gonna have ports to go through. You're, you know, there's, there's like so much more than just like a line, um, hmm. and so it's actually a lot more destruction than I'd realized. I also didn't realize, like I wrote about, uh, partly because it was so surprising, like a lot more animal, different kinds of animals are affected, including birds. Also, there's a lot of light, and a lot of animals just avoid light. There there was a study that came out, and I didn't end up, I don't think I included this, um, but there was a study that came out several years ago, and it was it was a very small study, because there just haven't been a lot of big studies of the border, but they surveyed a few different areas along the border and found that people were not deterred by the fencing, but but large mammals were, like other large mammals were, so I think I was just not thinking on different scales, like everything from you know a little reptile to a larger mammal to a bird is going to be affected and and it's more it's much more damage than you think about because of all the equipment and people involved
0: so yeah that, i mean I, I do think that's interesting and i think your story got to that in other ways but th- this idea that like people aren't actually were being kept out by this idea by the wall itself some of the idea or the rhetoric of the wall is having its own impact on the human populations of the borderlands. But really, when you're like laying down a, a physical barrier, um, humans have a, you know, a knack for finding their way through that stuff where animals might not, including a cute little thing called the pygmy owl.
1: Yeah.
0: Yep. How did you find the guy who studies pygmy owls or has studied
1: how did I find him? <laughs> I Well, wow, Brian, I can't reveal my methods. Fair Mostly cuz I don't remember. Re- <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I'm I glad mean, I that, the listeners to our
0: show are really going to appreciate the transparency of um the, our, our reporting. So, uh, I mean, this, I
1: was I was reading magical, Did you make up about... a did you
0: make up a source, Maya? Did <laughs> you did you make up a source and an I mean, animal? I I
1: did name him <laughs> Is there Mr. actually owl.
0: such thing as a pygmy owl?
1: Mr. Owl is a real source. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and did he tell you how many licks it takes to get to the Tootsie Roll Center of a Tootsie Roll Pop?
1: <laughs> he also gave a hoot and
0: told me not to pollute. <laughs> oh, yeah, that guy. I love that guy. Um, well, all right. In the, in the Actually, two minutes. I, I was just
1: doing a lot of research through like, <laughs> academic journals, um, trying to find somebody who'd published about the border wall and ecology. And, and he is one of the people who has. So that's how I found him.
0: This is a researcher who you were sort of um, talking about all of these different connections. And mm-hmm. uh, in the middle of your interview, there's a bee that's buzzing by. And and he kind of just looks at the bee and he's like, Yeah, that, that bee's going to be dead in the night. The frost is coming, right? <laughs> or something. That was a nice. <laughs>
1: say it in that tone of
0: voice but yes uh in my mind he did because i was reading it that's the power of the imagination and the written word. um in the two minutes that we have left for this episode of west obsessed maya what was your big takeaway from your reporting on the borderlands when it comes to um trump's big beautiful wall
1: um i have two takeaways the first one is that um you know the, the real answer to immigration is comprehensive immigration reform. It's it's not construction of something like that's just a big waste of money. It's bad for the environment and it's bad for people. It's really about immigration reform. And the other thing is that whatever happens on the border, local voices need to be included more because not, not, not just because it affects them, but because they have the experience to know what does and doesn't work and what kind of results they want to see. So I think those are the the two things that I would leave with.
0: Kate, any last words on big, beautiful walls, the walls (laughs) between us?
2: I'm very tempted right now to bust out into like 80s, like rock song lyrics. But no, I think one of the things that I was struck with in this story was the the moments you documented of these people going through their lives and like the bureaucracy of the wall kind of like coming up in their minds and affecting their decision making and how different that was for the animals who are just physically affected by it. Um, And I don't know what the policy answer is to that kind of thing, but it's certainly a lot of responsibility to carry for our policymakers now because the power of what they do was really striking in this story.
0: Yeah, I mean, a billion here, a billionaire, and pretty soon you're talking about real money. Unfortunately, we're out of time, maybe out of money. Who can say? Who can say? We're we're recording this during KVNF's pledge drive, so maybe we're not out of money. Which I should say, you can support KVNF anytime, not just during a pledge drive. So if you're listening to West Obsessed and you like what you hear... Go ahead and um, pitch in a little money to KVNF or become a sustaining member. For now, I think we'll end it there. Uh, I'm Brian Calvert, the editor-in-chief of High Country News. You're listening to West Obsessed. I'm here with Deputy Editor Kate Schimmel. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Brian. And Maya via Skype in Tucson. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Brian. If you want to learn more about this story or or other Borderlands stories, you can do that at our website at hcn.org. If you want to continue this conversation, you can do that at kvnf.org. That's all we have time for this week, and thanks for listening.